Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, hello. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Live Your Personal Best. On today's podcast episode, we are joined by Jill talking all about the idea of dry January because dry January is something that I've never done before, but sober challenges are becoming more and more popular each year. This year, record number of people are participating. Maybe it's something you've thought about, and I know that it is you know, almost through the whole of January now, but it's not too late. And there's also dry July, sober October, challenges like this all the time. And so I sat down with Jill to really talk about, okay, can you make a big difference in your health in just one month of not drinking? Also, what does your drinking look like and your habits look like after you've done a challenge like this? I think that a lot of times, you know, we're programmed with breaking out a diet culture of seeing a challenge and being like, oh my gosh, this is just restriction, which is going to lead to binging after. And because of that, a lot of people discourage trying things that aren't super permanent. You try to discourage things that, you know, you're not going to stick with. But Jill has a different approach of actually encouraging you to try a 30-day sober challenge, encouraging you to try a dry January. So I am so excited to be bringing you this topic. We've had this topic on the podcast one time before, and it was this time last year. So I'm excited to be bringing up the topic of being sober curious again. I share a little bit of my story. Jill shares about hers and just where you can find more support about all of this. But before we do get started, I did want to let you know that my program Beyond the Hype Bootcamp is officially opened to go enroll. And so if you are someone who always finds yourself starting new things, setting new goals, going at it for the first week or two, and then just falling off and being like, I have no idea how to incorporate this into my lifestyle, Beyond the Hype Bootcamp is for you. It's taking you past that initial burst of motivation and showing how you can incorporate habits into your lifestyle without changing your entire life and your entire routine. And so if this sounds like something you need, it is a six-week program. Go to emilykaufman.org slash beyondthehype, emilykaufman.org slash beyondthehype. Link is right down below too. And with that, let's get started. What's up and welcome to the Live Your Personal Best podcast. This is the place where I help current and former athletes like you to show up confidently in the gym and in life. I'm your host, Emily Kaufman, a former Division I athlete and author of Elite to Everyday Athlete. I'm going to show you how to stay motivated in reaching your goals and how to have more fun doing it. So let's sweat it out and start living your personal best. Hey guys, today we are joined by Jill. She is the host of the Sober Powered Podcast and works as a biochemist in the Boston area. She has a master's in biology and has dedicated herself to learning about alcohol's influence on the brain and how it can cause addiction. She uses her platform to educate and empower others to assess their relationship with alcohol. I'm so excited that you're joining us today, Jill. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah. So I think that this is the perfect time to be bringing you on. We are in the midst of dry January. And even if you're listening to this right now and it's not dry January, you know, they have 
the dry July, there's all these different challenges, right? And so I'd love to get to know your opinion. How do you feel about these challenges? Are they helpful? I love them because I think it's the perfect opportunity for someone who's sober curious to take a break because one of the scariest things about taking a break is people are going to ask why you're not drinking. And if you're just, oh yeah, I'm doing dry July or I'm doing dry January, sober October or whatever, that's so acceptable now that no one would even, they'd be like, oh, cool, good for you and move on. So I think it eliminates a huge barrier to participating. Yeah. So it almost gives like a built-in excuse that a lot of people understand. Yeah. And you don't have to worry about anyone like giving you a hard time. They might be doing it too. Uh, So many people participate every year. So it's really cool. Yeah. And this is something that's been bigger recently, right? Like this hasn't always been around. Yeah. So dry January at least started back in 2013 um, over in the UK. And then it made its way over here and it's just become more and more popular every year. Millions of people participate. Um, This year seems to be the biggest. I don't know the numbers yet, obviously, but I think with quarantine, more people have been drinking. So therefore more people are questioning their drinking and wanting a break. Yeah. I think that's so interesting because I'm also very much a math heavy person. I'm into the statistics. And so to see, you know, all the articles that come out that's like, oh yeah, you know, Americans are drinking now more than ever. But then you also have more people sober curious than ever and more people trying these dry challenges. It's like these are kind of working hand in hand, I guess. Yeah. And I saw some really cool statistics about dry January that if you get support during the month, you have, I think it's about 70% is your odds of completing the challenge versus people who try to do it on their own. I think their odds of completing were down at like 36%. So getting support and like being part of the community and everything, it just helps you. And support doesn't mean like you must go to AA every day for dry January. It could just mean like listening to this podcast or reading some Quitlet or even watching like the new Sex in the City reboot where they're talking about sober curiosity, like any form of support. Yeah, I was just going to kind of ask you what that support looks like, because I think that, you know, a lot of the things of stopping drinking and saying that you no longer drink, there's the huge myth around it of like, oh, it must be that you're an alcoholic then, right? It must mean, oh, you go to AA and like you fit that one stereotype. But now that we're seeing there's so many other ways that you could fit into it. um, I love that you mentioned those other areas of support too. Yeah. And AA doesn't work for everybody. It works for a lot of people. And I think that their like methods and thought processes are fabulous. But there are meetings too that aren't just AA. Like there's something that's called the luckiest club and it's just Zoom meetings and they're not affiliated with any step work. And you just chat with people around the world that are just like you. There are all these apps now for people who are sober curious or sober. Therapy is an amazing resource. There's meetups. There's um, Namaste Sober, which combines like yoga and not drinking. So there's a lot of different ways to get the support you need that's no longer just going to an anonymous meeting and maybe not feeling like you quite fit in there. Yeah. No, so you mentioned Namaste Sober and I know that you're Boston based too. So I'm like, oh yeah, I see them all around Boston, but they had this cool thing for uh, New Year's Eve. I saw they put on this event and, you know, it's kind of like a fitnessy event, but also a, where, a spot that you can go and not drink. And I thought that it was really cool 
because the only thing that they ask for, they're like, our only rules aren't that you have to commit to being sober or anything like that, but you just have to stay sober for 24 hours before and 24 hours after. So they're like trying to like ease you in with the baby steps. And I think that's so important. Yeah. And that's so much more doable for someone than saying like, you must have 30 days before, or you must be participating in dry January or whatever. Um, Yeah. So I think small achievable goals is so much easier because drinking is big. Like we feel like everybody drinks. We feel like it's all around us. And if we don't drink anymore, we'll have no friends. No one will like us. So it's scary to commit to not drinking. Yeah. So you mentioned, you know, by breaking it down into the smaller goals, how long does it take for someone to see the effects of not drinking? So it depends on what your drinking was like. Um, Some of them can be immediate. Some of them can be around 30 days. Some can be longer. Um, But if you are someone who's sober curious, let's say, and you drink and you feel anxious after you drink, um, you feel guilty for drinking, your sleep is disrupted, something like that, you should see quicker benefits. Um, So that anxiety could even go away. Your sleep could get better pretty quick. Within the first days, within the first 30 days, sorry, there are a lot of benefits that have been seen in dry January studies of people that have had more energy and better sleep, and they've felt happier and proud of themselves. And liver health is better. But for other people, if you were drinking heavily for a very long time, the benefits could be a little bit delayed. For mental health specifically, with anxiety, that one is tough because if you have pre-existing anxiety, it might get a little worse before it gets better. So that could maybe feel disheartening. Like I stopped drinking, I'm trying to do this good thing for myself and now I feel worse. But there's a withdrawal period in the beginning that some of us need to get through. I had actually alcohol induced anxiety, so I don't have real anxiety. It's not something that I struggle with, but alcohol caused anxiety for me. So as soon as I stopped drinking, that went away and I never had anxiety again. So people could be in that situation. So it's a little bit different, but I think by like two weeks to a month, there should be some obvious benefits. Yeah, that's awesome to hear. So kind of like what you're saying too, is if you commit to a challenge, if you commit to a one month, you know, you can see benefits even within that one month. It doesn't have to be, okay, now I'm committing to forever. And that's the only way I'll see a benefit. Yeah, exactly. And it can be even like with bloating or something like that, like alcohol affects our digestion and the foods that we eat too. So it's not even the alcohol. It's also the, you know, the drenchies that you get at the end of the night that affects your food choices. So you could feel better just health wise in the first few days because you're making better choices all around. Yeah, no, I love that. And do you think that it affects people after that they're done with the challenge of how they approach drinking or think about drinking? Like what does it look like after a challenge is done? Yeah, so part of the challenge is learning how to navigate real life without drinking. So it's not just that you hide out in your room and you don't drink for 30 days and then you resume life. You're doing life this whole time. You're having stress. You're having sadness, anger, anxiety, conflict with other people. You're feeling insecure. You're socializing and you're doing all the things that you normally would do, but now you have to figure out how to do them without alcohol. 
And that experience and that knowledge, you don't just forget that. Even if you go back to drinking and you don't do another challenge for like three years, you don't forget what you learned. So you know now, I actually don't need a drink every day after work. I know that I can get through that. I don't need to drink to socialize. I know that I can have fun if I have a mocktail instead. So there's a lot of learning behind it that stays with you forever, no matter what you decide after the challenge. Yeah, no, that's awesome. But I felt like you're like talking directly to me. So last year, I guess it's two years ago now in 2020, when the lockdown first happened, I stopped drinking. I realized I'm very much a social drinker. I will do it at like work events. And so when I was by myself, I had no need, stopped drinking for like six to eight months. And to me, that was easy. I didn't think about it, but you're right. You know, you have to learn how to live just now without alcohol. And that's the part that I never did. So then when everything started kind of adding back in, I was like, I don't know how to approach this. And now there's peer pressure and I'll just say yes. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And well, first of all, that's amazing that you did that in the hardest time to not drink. Um, But a lot of us even start drinking really young, like in high school. So we never learned how to socialize or go to a party or, or network with coworkers and, and not drink. So it's just like my husband tried to do it recently and was kind of telling him like maybe what he could order and how he could be like kind of sneaky about it and not draw attention. And he ended up drinking because like everybody else was and it's what he always does. And um, so it's definitely hard. And it doesn't matter if you have a problem like me or you're just a social drinker. Ever, It's difficult for everybody. Yeah. So you mentioned that your husband still drinks. How do you find yourself in the situations where you're surrounded with people that drink? Does everyone kind of know that you're completely sober? Is that something you kind of hide? How does that, how do you approach that? Yeah, in real life, it's not something that I like to advertise everywhere I go. I feel like it's pretty private, even though I, you know, blast it all over social media and podcasts and stuff. A lot of family know, but a lot of like coworkers and acquaintances don't. I'm just someone that like doesn't drink and it is hard when I'm the only one, which is usually the case that everyone else is doing it. I'm, I'm not. Sometimes I feel a little bit jealous or left out, but then I, I just look at the reality of my situation. Like I don't have a drink socially like my husband does one drink that he like nurses for two hours <laughs> And then stops. Like, I don't do that. I have like 500 drinks and embarrass myself and feel guilty the next day and sleep terribly and have anxiety and all of that. So I can also look at the truth. But it is hard to feel left out because there's a vibe that's created among the drinkers. And I feel like I'm not included in the vibe. But I also drink mocktails and non alcoholic beers and stuff like that. And that helps me in social settings, because now I'm, I'm like part of the group again. And I feel, I don't feel like as awkward because it's scary when you're just walking around, like your hands are empty or you have like a bottle of water, just like a big alert just to feel comfortable. So mocktails are a big help. Yeah, no, that's great advice. Cause yeah, I guess it's all about trying to be comfortable and you know, if it could be anything in that bottle, you're just like, Oh, mine's a non-alcoholic beer. And then you feel like you fit in. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's about me feeling comfortable. And something else I've realized is like, really, nobody cares. 
I had a lot of people question me in the beginning, like maybe the first six weeks, but that's because I was everybody's party friend. I was always like partying at happy hours for work and everyone just knew me that way. And then all of a sudden I just never drank again. And people were like, you're still not drinking. Like, why can't you just have one? Are you sure you're, you're not going to drink? And then once they saw I was serious after like four to six weeks, they stopped caring. And it's been over two years and like no one asks. So I think that's another big fear too. Like everybody's going to be like, why, why aren't you drinking? Tell me everything. And they really don't care. Nobody cares. Yeah, no, they might ask, but you're right. They forget about what your answer was even a day later. Yeah, right. It's not important to them. They might ask because it's it seems odd that someone is not drinking at a party. And I always just say, yeah, I don't drink. Don't drink. That's it. And then they're like, oh, OK, good. Good for you is usually what they say. Yeah, that's funny. So I know that you completely don't drink anymore. But I was wondering, you know, since you do study alcohol effects on brain, how do you feel about drinking in moderation? Is that something that you encourage, you know, is better than nothing or should we still just avoid it kind of completely? So there are no health benefits to alcohol at all. There used to be like all these studies that showed it was good for the heart, like red wine or, you know, you live longer and those things have been disproven. Um, There was a study that came out last year that like no amount of alcohol is good for your brain. But if you stick within the guidelines, I think you're fine as long as you're someone who can moderate. Like if you can have a drink and stop and move on with your life, then, you know, great. I'm so happy for you. It's when the guilt comes in afterwards and the shame or like not being able to control it or bargaining with yourself or trying to come up with like all these rules, those are the people that should stop. But if you can truly just drink or not drink, it doesn't matter, then, you know, live your best life. I don't try to get my husband to stop or really anyone else in my family. Cause like I said, I'm the only one. So I think what they're doing is fine. Cause we can also look at the food that we're eating. Some of the food choices that that we make are not the healthiest things ever. So I kind of think of it along those lines. Yeah. No, that's funny that you bring up food. Yeah. It's like sometimes maybe the alcohol isn't the worst thing that we eat that day. (laughs) Yeah. Like I'm a big fan of five guys and I'm sure that's not like, (laughs) it's not the best choice. That's funny. Um, So I'd love to get to know a little bit more about your story too. Cause you mentioned, you know, like some people can drink in moderation, but not everyone. And like, maybe you're not able to. So what led you to being like, this is it. I'm no longer drinking. Yeah. So I started drinking when I was 22. So I was really bullied in school and I never really had any friends. So I was never invited to anything. So I was really protected from high school drinking. And then I got to college and I was like kind of weird because I never really had that many friends. So I just kind of kept to myself and socialized a little bit during the day. And then when I got to grad school, everybody drank. The professors drank. They partied with the students. There was alcohol like on people's desks at school. We had parties in the school. And I thought no one's going to like me if I don't drink too. And so I started drinking and it took a couple times. But the first time that I got a buzz on 
I was like, wow, this is literally the best thing that's ever existed. How could I have waited my whole life to do this? This is so amazing. And then after that, like I was doomed. And then I had, I couldn't control myself. I had no understanding of like how much was too much. I was constantly getting drunk when I didn't mean to and getting sick embarrassing myself. And then a couple years later, like my mental health started to suffer. And that was ultimately why I stopped. And I rationalized it because I was a high achiever. I'm married. I have a house. I haven't ruined anything in my life. I have a job that people think is really cool. I have degrees. I got my master's while I was drinking. So I could rationalize it all day. Like, oh, I'm not that bad. I just need to practice moderating. But eventually I became really, really depressed and suicidal. And that was what ultimately made me stop because I realized I'm only suicidal when I drink. And for my own safety, I can't drink anymore. And then as soon as I stopped, those thoughts went away. And I actually did a test. I thought I could cure myself as like my one last chance this is it. This is your last chance to drink normally. So I took 90 days off and then I went back to drinking and then all the suicidal thoughts came back. Everything horrible immediately came back into my life. And then I was able to be like, okay, you just can't do this. This is not, you can't change this. This is just what alcohol does to your head. And that was about two years ago. Yeah. And you like, don't look back for a second. You're like, I know that I'm making the right decision. Yeah, it's hard because I was a wine drinker and wine is so romanticized by me and by society. And sometimes I get jealous of people that can drink and move on. But I also accept at the same time what's actually going on in my situation. And I can, there's a quote in the recovery community that says addiction is giving up everything for one thing and recovery is giving up one thing for everything. And it's literally the truth. Like when I was drinking, that's all I did. All I did was drink, recover from drinking and think about drinking. That's it. And then now that I'm sober, I have a whole life I can do like my husband and I talk more than ever. Like I'm actually getting to know him. I'm happy. Like I'm, I have good body image now, like all this stuff. And I recognize every single thing about my life that I like will disappear for alcohol. So you can miss it and accept reality at the same time. Yeah, no, I love that. You know, you're not saying like, oh, you know, like here I am living this life and I, hate alcohol at all like nothing about it you're like no I, I can miss it too but also with that quote that like hits me too you know because if we ever think you know oh maybe giving out alcohol is this huge thing I remember when I was an athlete we would do sober seasons and so I'd see everyone in college drinking and I would think I'm missing out on so much because of that but that quote as you said you know you're just giving up one thing for everything else instead of the other way around exactly yeah yeah it's alcohol or it's everything else and some people can have both in their lives but for me i don't know alcohol is just too amazing to me that i'll give up everything else 
for alcohol. So I just can't have any. Yeah. So with where you're at now and you have sober powered podcast, kind of like what's your mission with that? So I want to help people understand that there isn't something that's wrong with who they are. It's not a choice that they made. It's not because they're a weak loser or a bad person. It's not a self-control issue. I want them to understand that there are so many factors that go into whether or not someone develops a problem with alcohol and that it has nothing to do with your personality or, or who you are, if you're good or bad. Um, so that's kind of my overall goal is because the shame is so intense when you struggle with alcohol. So I want to alleviate as much of that shame as I can for people. Yeah, no, because even as you're talking there with like the personality, I think if you say alcoholic or someone who abuses alcohol, you think of in your head that person that goes around destroying everything, destroying all their relationships, has the DUI. But you're over here and you're rationalizing when you were drinking of like, no, I I have everything put together, you know, like, so that's not me. Yeah, exactly. And the stigma tells us like it's a choice. People let that happen. They're too weak to, you know, deal with their own lives. And and it's just not true. And, you know, addiction isn't searching through society to find the losers among us. It can get anybody. It doesn't matter how many degrees you have, how much money you have, what your race is, where you live, anything. It can get anybody at any time. Yeah. Well, I've loved this whole conversation of, you know, looking at how we can break the stigma around it, how, you know, it's not a personality flaw and how anyone can kind of approach taking a cleanse at 30 days off and like kind of how that can empower them too. Is there any one last piece of advice that you'd love to leave everyone with? Something important to know is if you're considering it or you're questioning your drinking in any way, that you're doing that for a really, really good reason. And at least like the, the smallest thing that you can do for yourself is to just look into the community, see what's on Facebook, join some groups, go on sober Instagram, listen to some podcasts, read some books, um, and just look and have an open mind and that will help. And you'll see someone that you can relate to. Yeah. And what I love about that too, is it's all, you know, stuff you can do from the comfort of your own home, from being private still, like, as you said, it's not something you have to declare to the world, even if you are on social media doing it. Yeah, exactly. You don't have to alert everybody like, Hey, look at me. You can, you know, download the Kindle app on your phone and read a book in private. You can listen to podcasts in private. You don't even have to follow the accounts. You can just like check out their page. So it can just be something that's for you that feels very safe. Yeah, I I love that. I feel so encouraged after this conversation. Where can people find you, follow you, all of that? Yeah, so if you search Sober Powered, you'll find me a lot of places. That's my Instagram, YouTube channel, podcast, website. That's also the name of my Facebook group. So if anyone's sober curious and you want a safe space to be you, um, my group is very private. So yeah, if you search Sober Powered, I'm all over. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.